My father and I awoke at dawn on July 15, 1995, in Manassas, Virginia. We were nearing the end of a ten-day tour of the American Civil War battlefield sites. Our Toyota van, nicknamed the Grey Ghost, had no air conditioning and we were suffering from the heat of the Virginia summer. Nevertheless, this was the trip of a lifetime, father and son sharing each other's company as we learned about the bloody Civil War battles of 1861 through 65. I wanted to see the mansion that Robert E. Lee lived in prior to taking up arms against his country, now home to Arlington National Cemetery, and visit the graves of those who had fallen in its defense throughout the years. One of those was my father's oldest brother, Anthony Corcus. On this day, we would be paying our respects to my Uncle Tony, who volunteered his service to the United States Army Air Forces during World War II. From a photograph that my father had, we knew that Tony's name and the date of his death, February 25, 1944, were etched on a memorial at Arlington. We entered the cemetery via Patton Avenue and drove aimlessly through the silent gardens of stone. We soon realized that it would be futile to look for Tony's memorial without help from the cemetery staff, so we made our way to the visitor's center where we asked for directions. The attendants searched through several file cabinets, then told us that Uncle Tony's gravesite was located in Section 34 at Plot 1631. My dad was dumbfounded. The attendant had located not his brother's memorial, but his gravesite. How was that possible? Tony Corcus had been lost forever while on a bombing mission to Augsburg, Germany. His airplane had been shot down and his body was never recovered. How could this be his gravesite? All the attendant could tell us was that the remains were returned under the World War II dead program and Anthony Corcus was buried in plot 1631. I asked the attendant for directions to the site. She produced a map of the cemetery and marked the route with a yellow pen. We returned to the Grey Ghost and followed the path toward Tony Corcus's gravesite. I pulled the van to the curb as we reached the X on the map. As we got out, I caught sight of a gravestone that looked to be the one in my father's photo. I paused and let Dad approach the stone by himself. After reading his brother's name, he hung his head in silence for a minute or so before turning away. I then approached the stone and paid my own respects to an uncle I had never known. Once back in the van, we drove in silence as we continued our tour of the historic grounds. Finally, my father broke the quiet mood. I wonder how Tony's remains got from Germany to Arlington. It took me seven years to be able to answer the innocent question that my father asked on that hot July afternoon. How was it that Arlington became my Uncle Tony's final resting place, given that he had been lost over Germany in February 1944? The search for the answer has taken me across America and to Europe, and along the way I have been privileged to meet many honorable men of the World War II generation. I have traveled across time to piece together the last moments of my uncle's life. This is the story of my search and of Tony Corcus's last combat mission. Kneeling behind Henderson with his back to the cockpit, Ramus suddenly detected a difference in the sound of the engines while working on the control panels. The superchargers were no longer giving off their familiar high-pitched whine. The superchargers for engines 2, 3, and 4 were failing. Over in Mitzpah, 
Richard Brown watched as 42-37786 left formation and began to drop back. He continued to snap photographs of the fortress. Down below, in the belly of 42-37786, Corky was relieved that the ship was no longer in danger of colliding with other aircraft. Outside the formation, however, 42-37786 would be vulnerable if enemy fighters should happen upon them. As McCrory's ball turret gunner watched, 42-37786 began to lose altitude. Within minutes, Henderson's plane was flying 4,000 feet below the formation at 16,000 feet. On board the stricken aircraft, the crew members offered up silent prayers for deliverance from enemy fighters. But 4,000 feet below, Kurt Clemens and two of his fellow ME-109 pilots from 3JG-3 had caught sight of the straggling B-17 above them. Like wolves zeroing in on an injured animal, they began to climb.